Section 7 of the Fourteen Orations Against Marcus Antonius, called Philippics. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Philippics by Marcus Tullius Cicero The Seventh Philippic The Argument After the Senate had decided on sending them, the ambassadors, immediately set out, though Servius Sulpicius was in a very bad state of health. In the meantime, the partisans of Antonius in the city, with Calenus at their head, were endeavoring to gain over the rest of the citizens, by representing him as eager for an accommodation, and they kept up a correspondence with him, and published such of his letters as they thought favorable for their views. Matters being in this state, Cicero, at an ordinary meeting of the Senate, made the following speech to counteract the machinations of this party, and to warn the citizens generally of the dangers of being deluded by them. We are consulted today about matters of small importance, but still perhaps necessary, O conscript fathers. The consul submits a motion to us about the Appian Road, and about the coinage, the tribune of the people, one about the Luperci, and although it seems easy to settle such matters as those, still my mind cannot fix itself on such subjects, being anxious about more important matters. For our affairs, O conscript fathers, are come to a crisis, and are in a state of almost extreme danger. It is not without reason that I have always feared and never approved of that sending of ambassadors. Of what their return is to bring us I know not, but who is there who does not see with how much languor the expectation of it infects our minds. For those men put no restraint on themselves, who grieve that the Senate have revived so as to entertain hopes of its former authority, and that the Roman people is united to this our order, and all Italy is animated by one common feeling, that armies are prepared, and generals ready for the armies. Even already they are inventing replies for Antonius and defending them. Some pretend that his demand is that all the armies be disbanded. I suppose, then, we sent ambassadors to him, not that he should submit and obey this our body, but that he should offer us conditions, impose laws upon us, order us to open Italy to foreign nations, especially while we were to leave him in safety, from whom there is more danger to be feared than from any nation whatever. Others say that he is willing to give up the nearer Gaul to us, and that he will be satisfied with a further Gaul, very kind of him, in order that from thence he may endeavor to bring not merely legions, but even nations against this city. Others say that he makes no demands now, but such as are quite moderate. Macedonia he calls absolutely his own, since it was from thence that his brother Gaius was recalled. But what province is there in which that firebrand may not kindle a conflagration? Therefore those same men, like provident citizens and diligent senators, say that I have sounded the charge, and they undertake the advocacy of peace. Is this not the way in which they argue? Antonius ought not to have been irritated. He is a reckless and a bold man, and there are many bad men besides him. No doubt, and they may begin and count themselves first, and they warn us to be on our guard against them. What conduct, then, is it which shows the more prudent caution, chastising wicked citizens when one is able to do so, or fearing them? 
and these men speak in this way, who, on account of their trifling disposition, used to be considered friends of the people, from which it may be understood that they in their hearts have at all times been disinclined to a good constitution of the state, and they were not friends of the people from inclination. For how comes it to pass that those men who are anxious to gratify the people in evil things, now on an occasion which above all concerns the people's interests, because the same thing would also be salutary for the republic, now prefer being wicked to being friends of the people. This noble cause of which I am the advocate has made me popular, a man who, as you know, have always opposed the rashness of the people, and those men are called, or rather they call themselves, consulars, though no man is worthy of that name except those who can support so high an honor. Will you favor an enemy? Will you let him send you letters about his hopes of success? Will you be glad to produce them? To read them? Will you even give them to wicked citizens to take copies of? Will you thus raise their courage? Will you thus damp the hopes and valor of the good? And then, will you think yourself a consular, or a senator, or even a citizen? Gaius Panza, a most fearless and virtual consul, will take what I say in good part, for I speak with the disposition most friendly to him, but I should not consider him himself a consul though a man with whom I am most intimate, unless he was such a consul as to devote all his vigilance and cares and thoughts to the safety of the Republic. Although long acquaintance and habit and a fellowship and resemblance in the most honorable pursuits has bound us together from his first entrance into life, and his incredible diligence, proved at the time of the most formidable dangers of the Civil War, showed us that he was a favorer not only of my safety, but also of my dignity. Still, as I said before, if he were not such a consul as I have described, I would venture to deny that he was a consul at all. But now I call him not only a consul, but the most excellent and virtuous consul within my recollection. Not, but that there have been others of equal virtue and equal inclination, but still they have not had an equal opportunity of displaying that virtue and inclination. But the opportunity of a time of most formidable change has been afforded to his magnanimity and dignity and wisdom, and that is the time when the consulship is displayed to the greatest advantage, when it governs the republic during a time which, if not desirable, is at all events critical and momentous, and a more critical time than the present, O conscript fathers, never was. Therefore I, who have been at all times an advisor of peace, and who, though all good men have always considered peace, and especially internal peace desirable, have desired it more than all of them, for the whole of the career of my industry has been passed in the Forum, and in the Senate House, and in warding off dangers from my friends. It is by this course that I have arrived at the highest honors, at moderate wealth, and at any dignity which we may be thought to have. I, therefore, a nursling of peace, as I may call myself, I, who... Whatever I am, for I arrogate nothing to myself, should undoubtedly not have been such without internal peace. I am speaking in peril. I shudder to think how you will receive it, O conscript fathers. But still, out of regard for my unceasing desire to support and increase your dignity, I beg and entreat you, O conscript fathers, although it may be a bitter thing to hear, or an incredible thing that it should be said by Marcus Cicero, still to receive it first, without offense what I am going to say, 
and not to reject it before I have fully explained what it is. I, who, I will say over and over again, have always been a panegyrist, have always been an advisor of peace, I do not wish to have peace with Marcus Antonius. I approach the rest of my speech with great hope, O conscript fathers, since I have now passed by that perilous point amid your silence. Why, then, do I not wish for peace? Because it would be shameful, because it would be dangerous, because it could not possibly be real. And, while I explain these three points to you, I beg of you, O conscript fathers, to listen to my words with the same kindness which you usually show to me. What is more shameful than inconsistency, fickleness, and levity, both to individuals and also to the entire Senate? Moreover, what can be more inconsistent than on a sudden to be willing to be united in peace with a man whom you have lately adjudged to be an enemy, not by words but by actions and by many formal decrees? Unless, indeed, when you were decreeing honors to Gaius Caesar, well-deserved indeed and fairly due to him, but still unprecedented, and never to be forgotten, for one single reason, because he had levied an army against Marcus Antonius. You were not judging Marcus Antonius to be an enemy, and, unless Antonius was not pronounced an enemy by you, when the veteran soldiers were praised by your authority for having followed Caesar, and unless you did not declare Antonius an enemy, when you promised exemptions and money and lands to those brave legions, because they had deserted him, who was consul while he was an enemy. What? When you distinguished with highest praise Brutus, a man born under the same omen, as it were, of his race and name, for the deliverance of the Republic and his army, which was waging war against Antonius on behalf of the liberty of the Roman people, and the most loyal and admirable province of Gaul, did you not then pronounce Antonius an enemy? What? When you decreed that the consuls, one or both of them, should go to war, what war was there if Antonius was not an enemy? Why then was it that most gallant man, my own colleague and intimate friend, Aulus Hirtius, the consul, was set out? And in what delicate health he is! How wasted away! But the weak state of his body could not repress the vigor of his mind. He thought it fair, I suppose, to expose to danger in defense of the Roman people, that life which would have been preserved to him by their prayers. What? When you ordered levies of troops to be made throughout all Italy, when you suspended all exemptions from service, was he not by these steps declared to be an enemy? You see, manufacturers of arms in the city, soldiers, sword in hand, are following the consul. They are in appearance a guard to the consul. But in fact, in reality to us, all men are giving in their names, not only without any shirking, but with the greatest eagerness, they are acting in obedience to your authority. Has not Antonius been declared an enemy by such acts? Oh, but we sent ambassadors to him. <laughs> Alas, wretched that I am! Why am I compelled to find fault with the Senate, whom I have always praised? Why? Do you think, O conscript fathers, that you have induced the Roman people to approve of the sending of ambassadors? Do you not perceive, do you not hear, that the adoption of my opinion is demanded by them? That opinion which you, in a full house, agreed to the day before, though the day after you allowed yourselves to be brought down to a groundless hope of peace. Moreover, 
how shameful is it for the legions to send out ambassadors to the senate and the senate to antonius although it is not an embassy it is a denunciation that destruction is prepared for him if he do not submit to this order what is the difference at all events men's opinions are unfavorable to the measure for all men see that ambassadors have been sent but it is not all who are acquainted with the terms of your decree you must therefore preserve your consistency your wisdom your firmness your perseverance you must go back to the old-fashioned severity if at least the authority of the senate is anxious to establish its credit its honor its renown and its dignity things which this order has been too long deprived of but there was some time ago an excuse for it as being oppressed a miserable excuse indeed but still a fair one now there is none we appear to have been delivered from kingly tyranny and afterwards we are oppressed much more severely by domestic enemies we did indeed turn their arms aside we must now wrest them from their hands if we cannot do so i will say that it becomes one who is both a senator and a roman to say let us die for how just will be the shame how great will be the disgrace how great the infamy to the republic if marcus antonius can deliver his opinion in this assembly from the consular bench for to say nothing of the countless acts of wickedness committed by him while consul in the city during which time he has squandered a vast amount of public money restored exiles without any law sold our revenues to all sorts of people removed provinces from the empire of the roman people given men kingdoms for bribes imposed laws on the city by violence besieged the senate and at other times excluded it from the senate house by force of arms to say nothing i say of all this do you not consider this that he who has attacked mutina a most powerful colony of the roman people who has besieged a general of the roman people who was consul elect who has laid waste the lands do you consider i say how shameful and iniquitous a thing it would be for that man to be received into this order by which he has been so repeatedly pronounced an enemy for these very reasons i have said enough of the shamefulness of such a proceeding i will now speak as i proposed of the danger of it which although it is not important to avoid a shame still offends the minds of the greater part of mankind even more will it then be possible for you to rely on the certainty of any peace unless you see antonius or rather the antonii in the city unless indeed you despise lucius i do not despise even cassius but as i think lucius will be the dominant spirit for he is the patron of five and thirty tribes whose votes he took away by his law by which he divided the magistracies in conjunction with gaius caesar he is the patron of the centuries of the roman knights which also he thought fit to deprive of the suffrages he is the patron of the men who have been military tribunes he is the patron of the middle of janus o ye gods who will be able to support this man's power especially when he has brought all his dependents into the lands whoever was the patron of all the tribes and of the roman knights and of the military tribunes do you think that the power of even the gracchi was greater than of this gladiator will be whom i have called gladiator not in the sense in which sometimes marcus antonius too is called gladiator 
but his men call him who are speaking plain Latin. He has fought in Asia as a mormillo, and, after having equipped his own companion and intimate friend in the armor of a Thracian, he slew the miserable man as he was flying, but he himself received a palpable wound, as the scar proves. What will the man who murdered his friend in this way, when he has an opportunity, do to an enemy? If he did such a thing as this for the fun of the thing, what do you think he will do when tempted by the hope of plunder? Will he not again meet wicked men in the decories? Will he not again tamper with those men who have received lands? Will he not again seek those who have been banished? Will he not, in short, be Marcus Antonius, to whom, on the occasion of every commotion, there will be a rush to all profligate citizens? Even if there be no one else except those who are with him now, and those who in this body now openly speak in his favor, will they be too small in number? especially when all the protection which we might have had from good men is lost, when those men are prepared to obey his nod. But I am afraid, if at this time we fail to adopt wise counsels, that that party will in short time appear too numerous for us. Nor have I any dislike to peace. Only I do dread war disguised under the name of peace. Wherefore, if we wish to enjoy peace, we must first wage war. If we shrink from war, peace we shall never have. But it becomes your prudence, O conscript fathers, to provide as far as possible for posterity. That is the object for which we were placed in this garrison, and, as it were, on this watchtower, that by our vigilance and foresight we might keep the Roman people free from fear. It would be a shameful thing, especially in so clear a case as this, for it to be notorious that wisdom was wanting to the chief council of the whole world. We have such consuls. There is such eagerness on the part of the Roman people. We have such an unanimous feeling of all Italy in our favor, such generals and such armies that the Republic cannot possibly suffer any disaster without the Senate being in fault. I, for my part, will not be wanting. I will warn you. I will forewarn you. I will give you notice. I will call gods and men to witness what I do really believe nor will I display my good faith alone, which perhaps may seem to be enough, but which in a chief citizen is not enough. I will exert all my care and prudence and vigilance. I have spoken about the danger. I will now proceed to prove to you that it is not possible for peace to be firmly cemented, for of the propositions which I promise to establish, this is the last. What peace can there be between Marcus Antonius and, in the first place, the Senate? With what face will he be able to look upon you? With what eyes will you, in turn, look upon him? Which of you does not hate him? Which of you does he not hate? Come, are you the only people who hate him? And whom he hates? What? What do you think of those men who are besieging Mutina? Who are levying troops in Gaul? Who are threatening your fortunes? Will they ever be friends to you, or you to them? Will he embrace the Roman knights? For... Suppose their inclinations respecting, and their opinions of Antonius were very much concealed, when they stood in crowds on the steps of the Temple of Concord, when they stimulated you to endeavor to recover your liberty, when they demanded arms, the robe of war, and war, and who, with the Roman people, invited me in the assembly of the people, will these men ever become friends to Antonius? 
will Antonius ever maintain peace with them? For why should I speak of the whole Roman people, which, in a full and crowded forum, twice, with one heart and one voice, summoned me into the assembly, and plainly showed their excessive eagerness for the recovery of their liberty, so desirable as it was before to have the Roman people for our comrade, we now have it for our leader. What hope, then, is there, ever can be peace between the Roman people and the men who are besieging Mutina, and attacking a general and army of the Roman people? Will there be peace with the municipal towns, whose great zeal is shown by the decrees which they pass, by the soldiers whom they furnish, by the sums which they promise, so that in each town there is such a spirit as leaves no room to wish for a senate of the Roman people. The men of Firmium deserve to be praised by a resolution of our order, who set the first example of promising money. We ought to return a complimentary answer to the Marikini, who have passed a vote that all who evade military service are to be branded with infamy. These measures are adopted all over Italy. There is great peace between Antonius and these men, and between them and him. <laughs> what greater discord can there possibly be? And in discord, civil peace cannot, by any possibility, exist. To say nothing of the mob, look at Lucius Nasidius, a Roman knight, a man of very highest accomplishment and honor, a citizen always eminent, whose watchfulness and exertions for the protection of my life I felt in my consulship who not only exhorted his neighbors to become soldiers, but also assisted them from his own resources. Will it be possible ever to reconcile Antonius to such a man as this, a man whom we ought to praise by a formal resolution of the Senate? What? Will it be possible to reconcile him to Gaius Caesar, who prevented him from entering the city, or to Decimus Brutus, who has refused him entrance into Gaul? Moreover, will he reconcile himself to, or look mercifully on the province of Gaul, by which he had been excluded and rejected? You will see everything, O conscript fathers, if you do not take care, full of hatred and full of discord from which civil wars arise. Do not then desire that which is impossible, and beware, I entreat you, by the immortal gods, O conscript fathers, that out of hope of present peace, you do not lose perpetual peace. What now is the object of this oration? For we do not yet know what the ambassadors have done. But still we ought to be awake, erect, prepared, armed in our minds, so as not to be deceived by any civil or supplicatory language, or any pretense of justice. He must have complied with all the prohibitions and all the commands which we have sent him before he can demand anything. He must have desisted from attacking Brutus and his army, and from plundering the cities and lands of the province of Gaul. He must have permitted the ambassadors to go to Brutus, and led his army back on this side of the Rubicon, and yet not come within two hundred miles of the city. He must have submitted himself to the power of the Senate and of the Roman people. If he does this, then we shall have an opportunity of deliberating, without any decision being forced upon us either way. If he does not obey the Senate, then it will not be the Senate that declares war against him, but he who will have declared it against the Senate. But I warn you, O conscript fathers, the liberty of the Roman people, which is entrusted to you, is at stake. The life and fortune of every virtuous man is at stake. 
against which Antonius has long been directing his insatiable covetousness, united to his savage cruelty. Your authority is at stake, which you will wholly lose if you do not maintain it now. Beware how you let that foul and deadly beast escape now that you have got him confined and chained. You too, Panza, I warn, although you do not need counsel, for you have plenty of wisdom yourself, but still, even the most skillful pilots received often warnings from the passengers in terrible storms, not to allow this vast and noble preparation which you have made to fall away to nothing. You have such an opportunity as no one ever had. It is in your power so as to avail yourself of this wise firmness of the Senate, of this zeal of the equestrian order, of this ardor of the Roman people, as to release the Roman people from fear and danger forever. As to the matters to which your motion before the Senate refers, I agree with Publius Servilius. End of the seventh oration of Marcus Tullius Cicero against Marcus Antonius, called also the seventh Philippic.